0: I have a few of these, does anyone need one? Mine even has notes in it if somebody really wants it. Well, good evening and welcome back, or welcome here for the first time. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. What is joy? here for the first time this evening, that's not what I want. If you're here for the first time, um, I don't typically ask rhetorical questions and not want an answer. So, what is joy?
1: It's something that um, allows you to, to function even when you're not happy.
0: Allows us to function even when we're not happy. All right, that's good. Specifically, what is joy? Or maybe I'll ask it this way What gives you joy? Where do you find joy? Or in what do you find joy?
1: Your face. Aw, thank you.
0: I hope so. What do you enjoy? Because that word literally means to find joy in. What do you enjoy doing? I enjoy fishing. What do you enjoy? Please tell me you enjoy something.
2: Eating.
0: Eating. (laughs) So do you live to eat or eat to live? What do you enjoy? Making new friends. Making new friends. Spending time with friends. At least a few more. Come on. Taking pictures. pictures.
2: Serving the Lord.
0: Serving the Lord. The Greek word used in Ephesians there <coughs> is chara, but it's pronounced hara. Um, it's very it's very precise in what it means: gladness, delight, or rejoicing. So, if we're talking about the fruits of the spirit, and Paul says, you know, if if, if you're not being led by self, but you're being led by the Spirit, this is what your life is going to look like. We're talking about what that joy looks like in our lives. So there's there's nice things that we can say, you know, joy is serving the Lord. Well, yes it is, but what does that look like? So what's the difference then between joy and happiness? As I said, the things that you enjoy literally means things that you find joy in. So what's the difference between joy and happiness? Okay. You've the things that you find joy in, the things that you enjoy doing, those things make you happy. They give you a feeling of happiness. It's a good feeling. Joy is a good feeling too, but it goes deeper than that. And it's it's hard to say, it's hard to define the two. You can be happy and not joyful, right? We would agree with that. In, the, in our world's view of happiness, you can be happy, but not have deep-seated joy. But I don't think you can be joyful and not be happy. Now, You might be raising questions about having joy and sorrow and stuff, and we'll we'll get there in a little bit. But they go hand in hand. And I think that we we tend to look down on happiness a little bit. Say, well, it's not about being happy, it's about being joyful. Well, happiness is a good thing. The Sermon on the Mount, blessed are ye, that blessed word kind of means envious, and to be desired and happy should you be when... I don't think happiness should be looked down on as much as we do. <clears throat> I have to stick with my notes I'm not going to get where I want to go. Good question. <clears throat> as hard as it is to divide the soul and the
2: spirit, where? is that kind the joy and happiness comes in? It?
0: Dividing the soul and the spirit? Yeah. In a way, Just a I would say happiness is seated in the mind. It's perspective on your circumstances. Now, your joy affects the way you perceive your circumstances. That's my opinion. But a good question. Um, i pull the
1: right of my head one person- face of others and even though our circumstances are sometimes stank, um I guess
2: it was another this was another word or a was a part that way. but in
1: relationship we can go through the difficulties with perhaps even with joy because of relationship I'm, I'm quite
0: I haven't either. But thanks for sharing. I am the true joy of
2: the false people is a gift from God. It's not something that we manufacture or something we do to affect us.
0: Thank you. It, it's not natural. The joy that we're supposed to have as a fruit of the Spirit is not natural. Most of the fruits of the Spirit are not natural. That's the, that's the point. Stop being the natural man and be supernatural. In Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice, be joyful, and be exceeding glad, happy. Why? Well, let's back up a little bit. The things that you enjoy, why do you enjoy them? because they're rewarding in some way or another. Fishing, not always so, but it's still enjoyable. I get reward out of fishing. You get reward out of making friends. You get reward out of taking pictures. They're all things that have a reward. You enjoy them both for the the action of doing them and the reward that comes. Jesus said, Rejoice, or be joyful, and exceeding glad. Why? Because it's rewarding. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Someone have James 1, 1 and 2 pulled up.
2: My brother found out who he the a draft matter of temptation. None of this trying to debate what but that patience had to worry where to grow entire
0: count it all joy. So we enjoy things that are nice and easy, right? See, I'm getting ahead of myself there. When is joy easy? When is joy hard? While you think about that, let's go ahead and back up to my other question that I missed. What are some verses that contain the word joy?
2: Okay. Okay.
0: I don't have to have the reference or even the whole verse.
2: Is that something, something, something that your joy may be full? I have no idea what <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a good one. I'm saying that I've <clears throat> spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy. Thank
1: you. Paul spoke to one group, and I can't remember which book this is, where he talks about that that they will be his joy and rejoicing in the coming of the Lord Jesus.
2: Yep.
0: There are all kinds of things in life that can make us joyful, some overtly spiritual, some simply things in life that we encounter and enjoy. Paul says we are to be joyful, that it will be a product of being led by the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean we should all be comedians or just live life to make us happy. It's not what he's looking for, right? And if you've lived any amount of life, you know that life maybe is not always joy. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine should be balanced with, be sober, be vigilant. So where's the balance? Getting ahead of myself again. I've written down what are verses that contain joy. So joy, rejoice, and joyful, y'all had a few verses there. Joy, rejoice, and joyful are used 430 times in the Bible. So there's a few more verses out there that we missed. So when is joy easy? When is joy hard? So, joy is easy when things are good. I think we would all agree with that. And by default, hard when things are tough. Joy is easy when we get immediate reward, but tough when it doesn't make sense. We don't see the reward, we don't see the end. Joy is easy when things make sense. Joy is easy when we feel loved. And see, there ties back to last night. Our call to love one another makes joy easier in that person's life. Joy is hard. Read my own writing. Joy is hard when I have sin in my life I need to deal with. Hard when I feel like I'm outside God's will. So if we do have joy, what does joy prove? What does the joy of a Christian prove? Now, I'm not talking about enjoying fishing anymore, although I'd love to. But what does the joy of a Christian prove? I said we'd ask that question about a lot of these. What does it prove to us as Christians? What does it prove to the world around us? And what does it prove to God when his people have joy?
2: proves to me that God is faithful in all circumstances of life. Okay. It proves to the world that Christians are crazy
0: sometimes. A peculiar people. (laughs) Joy proves... God's presence; those things are all right, and we'll get to a couple of those. But joy proves God's presence. Does someone have Psalm sixteen, eleven? You show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of
2: joy, and at your right hand pleasure.
0: The path of life. So I said, "Joy is hard when it feels like I'm not in God's will. I don't understand where He wants me to go." But when God leads us on the path of life, we're living and walking the path that he shows us, then in his presence, now something about in his presence ties to something else that we've talked about, abiding in the vine. Abiding in him is spending time in the word, in prayer, in fasting, being in the presence, tying into the vine, being at thy right hand, it says, I have it in front of me. In thy presence is peace, right? It's full. I'm sorry, it's fullness of joy. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's here in a minute. It's fullness of joy. Joy in our lives as Christians proves God's presence in our lives. Or, or in the world at all. John 15, 11. Someone have that?
2: These things have spoken my joy might remain in
0: you and that your joy might be full. Thank you. Now, does anyone know without looking where that's tucked in? It's right there in I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me. Goes on down through there. He's like, I'm telling you this so that you can have joy. Abide in me and you will have joy. Joy proves that we are abiding in Jesus. Joy proves that we trust God. We said it's hard to have joy when we don't understand. You don't have to understand to trust God. In fact, that's what trust is about. If you understand everything, you don't need trust, right? Joy proves we trust God and that we believe he is good. Joy in spite of trouble says, I trust you, Lord, which helps us with peace, but that's later on this evening. Joy in obedience proves love to God. Someone read Psalm 100, please. Make a joyful
2: noise unto the Lord all your lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come same. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that has made us, and not for yourselves. We are his people, and we should of be his pastors.
0: It's a lot of happiness and joy rejoicing in that passage. Serve the Lord with gladness, with joyfulness. Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Not everyone here is a parent, but have you ever told a child to clean their room? And the attitude that you get is, I'm cleaning it, but I don't want to. We obey sometimes, hopefully all the time, but not always joyfully. That's not the obedience that God wants. Um, look what God thinks of that kind of obedience. Someone read Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48.
2: Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and will us apart. Of all things, therefore shalt thou serve that enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and thirst and nakedness, and one of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy
0: neck until he hath destroyed thee. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with gladness. Is God yes the same yesterday, today, and forever? He is. God told them basically, you don't want to serve me, a loving God. Okay, go serve your enemies, which we are supposed to do. We are supposed to love and serve our enemies. But he says, you're going to serve them and you're going to endure that iron fetter around your neck. Joy in obedience proves love to God. Love, joy, and peace. The first three fruits mentioned sound good in our ears. They're usually comfortable states of being, for the most part. They sound very happy. We like, love, joy, and peace. Joy and peace are close to inseparable as well, which is why I'm having a hard time not getting into peace, which is later on this evening. If joy is to be evident in our lives, what place does sorrow or grief have? Maketh the heart better, sorrow does. It says? How does that work? I don't have the verse in front of me somewhere, but the the trying of your, of your patience and
2: patience. faith. I let patience have a perfect work, you may be perfect and complete one day.
0: Thank you. Someone read Psalm 31, 9 and 10. Oh, I didn't have that one typed out for you, did I? Nobody's looking ahead. At
2: first, have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my ears are inside, and my strength failed because of my music, consumed.
0: Thank you. I see I did have it in there, it was just one down. Um, I think that's the order I want. So, good old David, you can about pick a psalm and read through it, and at some point he says something like, my bones cleave to my flesh. David felt things deeply. Some might say that he was depressed all the time, but I don't think he was. I think he just felt things deeply. And he wrote about it. And most of the time he didn't end with, woe is me. His famous "But God," at the end of his or in the middle of his Psalms, um, reconciles his grief. Paul expressed sorrow once as well, probably more than once, but once that I'm going to read. Romans nine one through three.
2: I see the truth of Christ. I live that the conscience also bearing me witness to what He does. That I pray Him this, and continue to celebrate in my heart, for I could wish. Where from for my brother, my
0: kinsman, he starts out saying, I say the truth. In modern day English, what we'd say is, <laughs> I'm not lying. I really, really, I mean, that's the idea he's given here. He says, I'm telling you people, this has got me down. I'm full of sorrow and grief. And why? Because he wished that he could take the place of his brothers in their affliction. I'm going to call that righteous sorrow. So I'm going to read John 16,
2: 19, and 20. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again a little while, and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and laugh, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned
0: into joy. Thank you. More righteous sorrow. Christ was going to die. He is telling them, I'm telling you these things so that you know what's going to happen. You're going to sorrow. And the world's gonna rejoice. How does that feel? You know, we like rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. How do you like you're gonna you're gonna weep and the world's gonna rejoice? That's not a good feeling. He says your sorrow is gonna be turned to joy. In Job 2, no one needs to read that um, for sake of time here. Job Job's wife says to him, You know, why don't don't you just curse God and die? If you know the story, all that he had been through, his losing his children, his, his barns, everything. Job had a reason to be sorrowful and in grief. His wife says, Why don't you just curse God and die? And then Job's three friends come and they sit with him and they sit in silence for seven days. Probably should have just kept their mouth shut. They opened them up and kind of ruined it later on. But they were weeping with those that weep. They were following that camaraderie, whether it's in joy or sorrow. Job had every right to be down in the dumps. The Bible says he never sinned with his mouth. Sometimes we get down about things that aren't even that big if you look in comparison to some of these stories, and we start blaming God and saying, you know, why do I have to go through this? Well, it's not a joyful attitude. It's not trusting God that he knows what's going on, even when we don't see it. David, in Psalm 88, it might be the most depressed David ever sounds, and it's one of the Psalms where he doesn't end with his famous but God. He does, however, start with, hear me, save me, be merciful. I trust you, and you are good. He is in the pits of despair, and yet he acknowledges who it is that he should cry out to and acknowledges trust in God. The fruit of joy, I would say anyway, primarily affects us and our relationship with God. Of course, if your life is void of joy, you probably won't be bubbling over with love, and that affects those around you. But while joy may be between you and God, we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice. So, how do you express joy to others?
1: Songs and the spiritual songs.
0: Okay.
2: Speaking kindly to someone who may not deserve that.
0: Okay. No. The expression on your face. So, speaking, speaking, expression, actions speak louder than words. It's hard to express joy without saying something. It can be on your face, but you might not know why. So do we share our joys? It's not a pet peeve of mine, but I cringe when we ask for prayer requests or does anyone have anything they want to share. And if you don't have a friend or or a co-worker's uncle that's on his deathbed you don't have anything to share that's not always that way but we're quick to share where we need prayer for something or we're requesting prayer for something but we don't often share joys with each other and i think we fail there a little bit the next question on there should joy ever be dampened I will agree with that.
1: Well, there is a verse that says that if you rise up early, uh, if you greet your friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it could be called a, a curse. Thank you. I know some people
2: like that.
0: I'm one of those people. I'm sorry. There is a time to hold back joy. If you're going through a receiving line for a funeral, it's not the best time to be joyful. Now, like Ken said, sometimes losing someone, loss of life, can be hard or easy to have joy. Sometimes it's relief. Sometimes it's just flat hard. And that's not the time to be joyful. That is the time to weep with those that weep and thereby show love to that person and express a trust that God does know what he's doing Sometimes, maybe it's best to just keep your mouth shut and not actually say that, though. But to just weep with them that weep in silence. How can we increase others' joy? Listening to them, thank you.
2: A neighbor has appropriate, you have with the farm work.
0: Expressions of love <clears throat> make people joyful.
2: I think joy like so many other things that cold their sentence is contagious.
0: Okay. Yes. Somehow,
2: actually. So, hear me and not. His first word talks about David and sounded like he was in a bad way right? and said so he encouraged himself in the Lord. I think what he did is he went back through his life and looked at all the times that God was there for him and really stepped up and helped him in ways that were miraculous.
0: And it brought him up to joy. Thank you. And I think uh, we need to do that too. We do. So. David does that. He says, Woe is me, my bones cleave to my flesh, but thou hast been faithful. You've brought me through this and this and this, and I trust that you'll do it again. Kind of answered this already a little bit, but should we keep grief to ourselves? And before you answer that, I do not think that we should be the type of people that wear our emotions on our sleeves. But I do think that we need to be the people that can share our griefs with each other. So, I said earlier we need to share our joys with each other, right? We're quick to share other people's griefs with each other. But we're not very quick to share our griefs with each other. We're not quick to ask for prayer for ourselves. Are we willing to stand up and say, I have cancer. No, not that kind of cancer, but I have sin in my life that's eating away at me like cancer, and I need prayer. We don't do that. We need to. We certainly need to be supporting of those that are in sorrow and in grief. So... (laughs)
1: that's sort of the same thing as he talks about being in Christ when he talks about uh, being connected to the, to the man. So then there are times that I don't know if you're familiar with Otto Cunning and the pineapple the stories, but, but he had a situation where where he got all stuck up and God said rejoice. He said God I don't feel like rejoice so sometimes we find ourselves there and, and God says rejoice rejoice in everything give thanks rejoice evermore and, and we don't feel like rejoice now it, it seems like that and I don't have a verse for this maybe you do that, that rejoicing in tribulation um, opens up the door for God to work in a way it doesn't when we, when we don't rejoice so, so I'm trying to, to wrap my mind around this thing that in one sense joy is, is a natural result of the Holy Spirit within me and yet it's also something God commands us to do when we don't feel like it so can you, can you somehow tie those together no Okay.
0: <laughs> I think I could eventually but not on the fly
1: it's okay. <laughs> I haven't tied it together either.
0: Anyone else Jesus is welcome uh, to? Was Jesus rejoicing or was he joyful? I don't think he was enjoying it. But I think, and I know, actually, he had the ability to see past it. He had trust in his Father that had said, I want you to do this, I need you to do this. He was willing to do it, and I believe that he did it joyfully. We're called to do things joyfully as unto the Lord. Um, The verse, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross I don't think that means that he enjoyed the cross, but I believe it means that he did it for joy, so that we could have joy, and because it was a joy to him thinking about the results of dying on the cross.
2: Once, once he said, not my will, but be done, I don't have that passage right now, but did the same that the angels came and strengthened him. Ministered unto him. And that's when that he loved us so much that he gave us the Holy
0: Spirit when he out, to come and, and to give us that, and that is not to us, and give us that peace that no other God is in control. Yeah. And that peace and that trust, again, getting into peace, which we'll have to get going here in a minute, that is how we can have joy even when things don't make sense, even when we feel out of control. Really quickly, the last portion here. How did Jesus express joy? Um, let's go ahead and get some volunteers on these verses. Just, just say I. John 15, 11. Luke, 15 11. Luke, 10, 2. Luke 10, 2. Luke 15, 10. Luke 15, 10. Uh, John 3, 1. Uh, 3rd John 1, verse 4. And Luke 15, 3 through 10. Actually, I'll get that one. So the question, how did Jesus express joy? Let's go ahead with John 15, 11.
1: These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full.
0: So I believe Jesus is joyful when we have, our jo- when we have his joy in us. This next one might not make much sense to you. Luke 10, verse 2. What's that have to do with joy? <laughs> the harvest is great. The labors are few. He's joyful, when we harvest. He's joyful when we harvest. Luke 15, 10.
2: Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God, of one sinner.
0: Now, that's talking about joy in heaven, but Christ is in heaven, and he is joyful when a sinner repents. And that's sinner repents. I think in, in our minds we have this thing of, well, a, a new believer, right? When someone comes into the fold, someone that's never been there before. Now, a sinner that repents could have been abiding in the vine for a while and failed. All right, 3rd John 1 and 4. This is John speaking, but I do believe Jesus feels the same way.
2: Uh, the that
0: they hear oh. Do we give God, Jesus, joy? So Luke 15, 3 through 10, we read 1510, the joy in heaven. Um, we won't take time to go through this very much the lost sheep, the lost coin, what happens when it's found? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. To yourself? With others. Share your joy with others. Share the joy of the Lord, the joy of living this life in the Spirit with others, and I think you will fill The heart of Christ with joy. We have to shut it down and give you a little break. Do you trust God enough to hold on to joy despite the world's pain? Does the world see your walk with Christ as a joy or a burden? Do you share your brother's joy or just his sorrow? Some questions to contemplate. All right, three and a half minutes, and then we'll be back. All right, that's three and a half minutes. Not everyone's back, but I've got a lot that I want to cover still. I was told that I didn't give enough time for comments and stuff last night, and so I tried to leave more room this evening. But see, what that does is that I can't get through everything that I have prepared. So. <laughs> but that's okay. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace in one aspect is one of the fruits that affects us more than it affects others. Now the byproducts of peace affect others. Peace between brethren is something different entirely. You may be able to fake love or joy, but it's hard to fake peace. So what is peace? Or what is the opposite of peace?
2: Okay. I would say it's a lack of peace
0: so when the soul is in harmony with the maker's peace Alright, in harmony with the maker I'll agree with that Understanding the relationship of your salvation
1: Understanding the relationship of your salvation Okay, So, so peace with my brother is different than peace with my God but sometimes my lack of peace in a situation makes it pretty hard for me to have to feel that peace from God. Is that' correct.
0: That is absolutely correct. Vice versa as well. I grew up in. Uh, I probably didn't grow up in. I still haven't grown up. But I spent a lot of time in the Beachy Church, and I wasn't raised. Mennonite or Anabaptist at all, and it tickled me a little bit when we had time for communion and everybody stood up and said, I have peace with God and my fellow man as far as I know. If anybody sees anything in my life that is not as it should be, please come and talk to me. And You sit down. Okay. And it, it's great. It's a great thing to say. It's a great place to be, but do we mean it? Do we have peace with God and our fellow man as far as we can? The Greek word, spelled just like Irene, I think it's spelled just like Irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, but it's pronounced Irene. It is the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. It has the idea of wholesome. Not wholesome as in good, but wholesome, as in being whole. Soundness, health, well-being, prosperity. It also has a connotation of the absence of confusion. A confused mind is not at peace. I don't like the unknown. We've talked about that a little bit already this evening. Joy and peace are hand in hand. I do not like the unknown. I like to know what things mean. I like to know what makes people tick. I like to know what little bit of attitude someone might have or I might imagine that they have towards me when I'm up front talking. I believe, uh, studying this has been very good for me, but recently, uh, my son Kyle has had an illness that's fairly rare, arm was basically paralyzed for a while, he's getting it back. God has been teaching me through that to trust him, because the unknown, when you're sitting in the emergency room with your son, if you know, you know, it's not comfortable, or parent or friend, whatever it is. The unknown is torture. Paul encountered the um, thing that is stone, altar to the unknown God. And he he laughed at them. you're, You're worshiping the unknown God. You're so fearful of all these other gods. What are you afraid of here? You're afraid of the unknown. And so you make a sacrifice just in case. So what are verses that talk about Peace. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Peace that passes all understanding.
0: Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that doesn't make sense. Peace that's beyond our understanding. Romans 8.28 For we know that that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's right. The peace that passeth understanding. The peace that doesn't make sense. It's not the world's peace. It's not the opposite of war. Peace is not just lack of conflict. Peace goes beyond that. Peace is an inner calm. Peace is wholesome. Was Jesus peaceful? He was called the Prince of Peace.
2: That's where, that's where I kind of lose uh, sight of it, especially when you stay it. With-
0: Someone read Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Matthew 10, 34 to 39. Yes. It's not that I have come to send peace on earth. I
2: came up to send peace but the sword, but I have come to say, man, at variance against his father should mother, more than cross Was Jesus
0: peaceful? this lack of peace that he says he's come to bring is not a lack of inner peace. It's a lack of complacency. It's a different word used there. It's i am not come to let you just sit at home and be okay with each other. I'm, I'm here to say that if you don't take up your cross and follow me, that it's going to cause conflict when you do that. And you must do that. It doesn't matter if it's going to turn mother against daughter and father against son. I'm going to turn the world upside down. That's what I'm here to do. It's what needs to happen. It's on the heels of him saying, the things that I've been whispering to you, he says, the things that I've spoken in your ear, shout from the rooftops. He says, it's time to stop being quiet about following me. You know, Jesus himself just kind of hid things from the Pharisees and never blatantly broke their law by saying, I am the son of God. He would say, you say that I am. He says, the things that I've been whispering in your ear, it's time to shout them from the rooftops. He says, don't worry about death. A sparrow falls to the ground and God cares about that. How much more does he care about you? That's the verses preceding that. Jesus came to give peace to our souls. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll get that in a minute.
1: Does this light to the... Conflict that are in churches. Does what relate to it? This conflict that he said is going to be up against daughter and daughter-in-law and mother and all this stuff.
0: Does that, Is that mirroring the conflict that we have in churches? Is, that something, is it the same thing or
1: is it something different?
0: I think it's something different, personally. I think that that is, I'm not, pointing fingers or have anything in mind, but I think that is the arrogance of people saying I'm following Christ right and another person saying I'm following Christ right. It's not I'm following Christ, I'm not following Christ. It's a different type of, of conflict, I would say. It's more the conflict that Paul was trying to settle here in Corinthians when he says, you guys are coming in here saying that, that they've got to do this and this and this, and you're saying this and this and this. I say, live by the Spirit and let your fruits say what you're doing.
1: I question on the tail end of that. When you begin to teach the gospel, will there be conflict?
0: There will. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. That's what he's referred to, the family members. The gospel
1: dividing. It is. It's meant to. You would think it would not divide some of the places it does, but it's amazing kind of wrath,
0: I think we gray the lines between black and white. And I think it's partly human. Um, it's a good rabbit trail. It's not a rabbit trail, it's still along the same trail, but it <laughs> just don't
2: look for conflict to, to, to validate what you're That's right. Yeah. It's a little bit bigger and trail more like a cow <laughs> <laughs> Probably so.
0: All right, so what, what does peace prove? What does peace prove? We believe that God is in control, is in control. absolutely. Peace proves salvation. Someone read Romans 5.1. It's it's that one that I can't think of how it goes exactly. I don't have them typed out here. Thank you. We were at enmity with God. Our faith in Christ creates peace with God. That's why when the angels proclaimed, when they came and said at at the birth of Christ when they appeared to the shepherds in the field and they said, uh, peace on earth? It wasn't, you know, peace to you on earth. That's not what it was. It was peace has come to earth is a connotation there. It's Peace is now on earth. Peace is available on earth. If we possess that peace, we prove salvation. Peace proves that we trust in God. Philippians 4, 6, and 9 is be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing, worry about nothing. Peace proves a life led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 5 through 6. Does anyone have an Amplified?
2: I got the new American standard. That'll work. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace.
0: The mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the flesh is death. Peace proves life, and life led by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit if we are a new creation, then we mind the things of the Spirit, and our desires are for the Spirit things. The result is peace. Peace, not just in heaven, or knowing one day we'll be in heaven, but peace here and now. Peace despite the world around us. I changed direction on my stuff this evening, and I didn't have time to write it all out. I talked to my phone as I was saying what I would have said this evening, so that I was there. But my phone is dead, so it's gone, so I'm just going to have to do this off the cuff. Um, but I have jotted down here a tale of two storms. One is in Mark 4, 35 to 41, and one is in Matthew 14, 22 through 33. So in Mark 4, we see the disciples push off from shore in a boat, heading across the lake, and a great big storm comes up. Jesus is with them. They're doing what they're told. They have Jesus with them. They're in this boat. They're following his commands. They're going where he wants them to go. And a big storm comes up. He's sleeping. And they're absolutely terrified. same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. They were following his command. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. Sorry. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, the boat. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, Jesus was at peace. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Don't you care that we're dying here? And he arose, rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So they cried out to Jesus and said, Don't you care? They showed huge lack of faith. He says unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they got even more scared. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They cry out to Jesus in the storm, and the storm is calm, and they have peace now, right? Is that what we're supposed to do? When, when life is in turmoil, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. It's not because of sin. Life is in turmoil. We cry out to God. He gives us peace, right? That's the way we like it to happen. But there's another storm. Matthew 14. Matthew 14, 22. Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship, and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out in fear. But well, straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So another storm's raging, and they're afraid again. And as sailors tended to be, they thought they saw a ghost coming out across the water. Jesus said, Be of good cheer, have a little joy. It's me. Peter answers him and says, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Sometimes God doesn't just calm the storm and then rebuke us for being fearful. He says, come on. Beautiful story here of Peter's faith stepping out into the water. I I cannot fathom what it took to do that. But he steps out into the water in the storm before it's calm, before there's peace, and he walks to Jesus. And he's doing pretty good, but then he starts looking around. And we know what happens. He starts sinking, and as he's just about to go under, he cries out to God.
1: He's a typical sanguine.
0: A typical what? Sanguine. Sanguine?
1: Yeah, he acts and thinks later.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, we do that. <laughs> When his eyes were on Christ, when he said, I'm coming to you, he was fine. As soon as he looks around and says, this is actually bad, that's when he starts going down. That's what we do in life. That's that peace. It doesn't matter what's happening out here. When we are headed to Christ, when we are following him, when he is saying, come, and we're listening, the storm doesn't matter. I have a little blurb written in here from George Mueller. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. We have four minutes. Someone look up Matthew 5, 9, say aye. Romans 12, 18. Philippians 2, 3. Isaiah 26, 3. Luke 1, 79. How can we be peacemakers? There's a lot of discussion that we could have here about spreading peace. Um, We are losing time. How can we be peacemakers? Matthew 5, 9. Are you called a child of God? It says, blessed are the peacemakers, but how do we make peace with other people? A peacemaker, what's implied there is someone that steps into a conflict and mediates between two things. It's not that you're always the one that's on the receiving end of a conflict, but that you are stepping in and being a peacemaker between other people. The rest of these verses go with how do we attain peace in this world, and let's just read through them quickly. Romans 12, 18. Philippians 2,
2: 3. But be men, glory, and we
0: to live in peace with all men, esteem others better than yourselves. That sounds kind of like love. Isaiah 26, 3.
1: You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in
0: keep your mind stayed on God and trust in God. Luke
2: 179. give back to death city darkness and the shadow of death to guide our into way of peace.
0: We are called to be a light in the world. That light is to guide the people that are in darkness into a way of peace. Do we live in a peaceful world? No. When's the last time there was world peace? I think so, too. I wanted to sing Peace, Perfect Peace. There's some verses here that that are not in our hymnal. And...
1: noted to me that in
0: every verse is jesus in every verse is jesus that's the point so the the song is beautiful i love it it's laid out as a question peace perfect peace in this dark world of sin we don't sing it that way because it's hard to sing like that and it's probably a good thing but the answer is jesus the blood of jesus whispers peace within peace by thronging duties pressed To do the will of Jesus is rest. With sorrow surging around, on Jesus' bosom, naught but calm is found. Mid suffering's sharpest throes, the sympathy of Jesus breathes repose. With loved ones far away, in Jesus' keeping we are safe and they Our future all unknown, Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. Death shadowing us and ours, Jesus has vanquished death and all its powers. And then the last verse is, it is enough. Earth's struggle soon shall cease, and Jesus calls us to heaven's perfect peace. Beautiful song. So, What effect does peace have on those around us? Pardon? It confuses them. Yes. Thank you. That's exactly what I was looking for. It's because it doesn't make sense. You know, people look in on tragedy and they say, oh. And they they come carefully and tenderly because they don't want to be the recipient of all of this hate and animosity and, you know, maybe misunderstanding and stuff. And they come and what they find is people at peace. And it doesn't make sense. And they want to know, how can you be so calm and and secure in your faith when this and this and this is happening? It's a perfect opportunity to share. Our peace can also cause peace in others. They're going to chase us out. Are you at peace with God? Are you an anchor to those in the storm around you? And do we prove to the world that there is peace in believing?
2: Thank you.